Well, good evening, Mosaic. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Sorry, I, I scared some of y'all, I think. Hey, y'all stand up and worship with us. I'm excited to see your faces braving the winter storm and coming in. My name's Kyle. I'm one of the worship leaders here at Fellowship, and I'm just grateful to be in this room with y'all. And tonight, we're gonna sing a new song that was written from some of our Fellowship worship leaders, and Taylor's gonna help me lead it uh, this, this tonight um, as we sing it. So it'll be kind of a call and response. So if you guys would just sing with Taylor, you'll kind of get the hang of it, and then we'll, we'll lead this song together. Sing it together now.
Sing this with me. You have. You have in all things. You revive my soul with every word you said. You have in always will. You have in always. You have in always will. Welcome to Mosaic. My name is Marco. And uh, if you're new or um, have been here a while but haven't found community, we would love to connect you. And you can do that by going to the website here on the screen or by going to the uh, middle booth in the, in the foyer. Somebody would love to meet you there and get you connected. So welcome. As we transition into a prayer pause, I would like to share a little bit about my story over the last few months. Uh, Chip Jackson and Tom Toomer reached out to me and invited me to join the prayer team at Mosaic. And my first thought was that they had the wrong number or the wrong Marco or something was wrong. Because I've always thought of myself as uh, not a prayer warrior, but struggling through prayer and trying to learn about prayer and getting distracted and not being consistent, all of those things. So I was like, I don't know if I should be in that team. But I thought about it and I prayed about it. And what I realized in doing that was that uh, it wasn't Chip and Tom actually inviting me. It was God inviting me to pray. It was God inviting me to the practice, to relationship, just to get closer to him through prayer. And so I said yes. And as I did that, Tom um, shared with me the vision of, hey, Marco, what if Mosaic was a church with a culture of prayer? And that really got me excited because I realized it wasn't God calling me to prayer. God calls his church to prayer. And calls Mosaic to prayer, and he calls, he calls you to prayer. And so the concept of culture was interesting because culture is what we do, what we're known for, uh, what we instinctively go to, right? And so what if Mosaic was a church that is known for prayer? So a few months ago, we started these prayer pauses. During the service, we take about five minutes, and we talk about a practice around prayer. 
And the idea here is that we don't just do it during our service, service for five minutes and then we go on and, and it just passed, but rather that we take these practices and embed them in, into our daily practice, into our relationships, to our community groups, into our family, right? That we bring them back and actually start practicing those behaviors, those practices, so that we can foster that culture of prayer as individuals and as mosaic. So today I'm gonna invite you to close your eyes with me. And we're going to talk about our Father who are in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And as you think about our Father, our heavenly Father, think about what that means. Think about a good, good Father that speaks, uh, talks about his identity. It also talks about our identity because we're, we're his children. And what a blessing that is. Think about that. And our God is in heaven. He is exalted above all else. And as we know his identity and our identity and his place exalted above all else, we're called to, we react by blessing his name. Holy, 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 hallowed be thy name. It's a posture of our spirit that by acknowledging who he is, we can be led to glorifying his name. And I would invite you as you sit there to think about a discipline or a habit or a practice during your daily life. Maybe it's preparing the coffee or brushing your teeth or driving to work. And maybe thinking of a time in which you can incorporate this practice and decide now to do it, to pause and acknowledge him for who he is. Thanking him for who we are as a result. And blessing his name.
worship with us.
take a moment where you're at and just say a prayer of gratitude towards God. What are you grateful for? Who is God to you? Where have you seen him work in your life? Maybe if you're having trouble in this moment to find something you're grateful for, would you ask his Holy Spirit to give you something, to show you something to be grateful for? And as we prepare our hearts to give our offering tonight, I'd love for you just to process and read through this, this prayer that we've written together. It's based off an, an old prayer that was written a few, a few hundred years ago. Maybe a line will stick out to you as you prepare your hearts to give and would you just ask God what that's about? Why did you, why did you show me that? I'll give you some time to pray and process as we prepare our hearts to give an offering to God. God, we're not a people that gives under compulsion. God, we trust you with what we have.
above all other names, Father. Lord, we, we come to this place broken. Some of us feeling unknown, lost, and hurt. And some of us feeling, Lord, like maybe we've had the best day we've had in years. And God, we're still broken. So Lord, would your spirit speak to us in this moment as we hear from your word. Lord, we love you. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Great job by the team, huh? Yeah. Great job, Kyle. I want to ask you, Kyle, did you end early because you thought I was going to go long tonight? No. I don't believe him. I don't believe him. It's good to see all of you. You know, every time I get up, I talk about money a little bit because I want to talk to you about the finances of the church because it's my job to make sure the bills get paid and all that. And they have chosen a verse to go on my tombstone from Luke chapter 16. And it came to pass, the beggar died. <laughs> but tonight, I, I just want to say thank you. Because of your generosity to the gift, over $800,000 was given to the gift this year. Yeah, don't applaud or anything. Yeah. I just think it's something for our body to celebrate. $800,000, over $800,000 was given to the gift. 
And I've even had people tell me that they save year long, all year long, so they can give to the gift. Because those gifts, they're used, some of it is used for things around here that need to be done, that, that aren't in the budget that we, we need to do. But a great portion of the gift is used for initiatives all over the world. And the word is out. The word is out because we get requests from all over the world from people who are doing some incredible things. Now, we can't tell you about all of them because they're working in very dangerous places. But thank you for the generosity to the gift. That's more than it's ever been. And not only that, uh, through the end of the year, you've been very generous. You know, last year we didn't quite make our budget. In a COVID year, we, we understood that. We were 98% there, but um, our, our church family has more than made up for that. And so this year... We are on track to meet uh, our budget. And so I just wanted to say thank you tonight for all that because it's a, it's a real blessing. Uh, at the end of this month, we open Fellowship Bentonville. That's, that's our prayer. We still don't have a certificate of occupancy yet. <laughs> there have been a few little holdups on that. And so we are waiting for that to happen so we can get in there and get everything set up for that first day. But we're really excited about it. God is doing some great things. I could go on and on about all the things that's happening here at Fellowship to celebrate. But um, thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight with you and talk about the book of Ruth. Have you noticed in the last three years how mean people have gotten? Seriously. It's like decorum has been thrown out the window. People are just mean publicly. I mean, just because you disagree with someone, you don't have to treat them like a Sasquatch. You, you can be nice to someone and respect their dignity, even though you may disagree with them. The people are just mean. And you know why they keep being mean? It's because we keep buying their records. We keep going to their movies. We keep voting for them. We keep giving them a platform for that. Thank you. For those of you on live stream, somebody just said, that's right. We do. And so they just seem to get meaner and meaner and meaner. And here's the other thing. It's probably not going to get better. Right? Because things move from order to disorder naturally. The second law of thermodynamics. And it's going to continue to get worse. That does not bode well for our children and our grandchildren. And so that's why we have to reiterate to them the truths of Scripture over and over and over again. That the Bible tells us how we're supposed to live. And the book of Ruth is a great book to use to show our children and our grandchildren how then we should live. And so that's where we are tonight in Ruth chapter 2. We're supposed to be nice people. We are supposed to be God's image bearers in this world. Amen? And his truth tells us how we're supposed to live. Just take Galatians 5, and 23. The fruit, not the fruits, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Did I get that right? Against such things there is no law. 
That's how we're supposed to live. The fruit of the Holy Spirit living in and through us and flowing into the lives of other people so they can say there's something different about that person. They're not like all those people who are being mean to one another, who are saying unkind things, who are gossiping, who are slandering, who are doing all those things. There's something different about that person. wonder what it is. It's the Spirit of God living in and through us. And so I encourage you to step away from that kind of living and be an image bearer of God in this world. And tell them that Fellowship Bible Church is a place where they can come and learn more about that. Ruth chapter 2, we see this very clearly. The book of Ruth, we see this big idea. And I want you to get this if you don't get anything else tonight. Is God faithfully loves and cares for his own. As a matter of fact, I just want you to say right now, God faithfully loves and cares for me. Okay, say that. God faithfully loves and cares for me. Okay, now you got it right. Now internalize it. I really want you to think about it. God faithfully loves and cares for me. You're going to see that in the book of Ruth. God faithfully loves and cares for his own. And in response to his love and care, our lives should reflect his character, the fruit of the Spirit. That's my theme for tonight because I think you're going to see that in the people that we study. We love a good story, don't we? When we were little, we used to climb up into our, our parents or grandparents' lap and say, tell me a story, tell me a story. I love it. With, with my grandsons, Junid and Aiden, I have a story that I tell them, different stories about my sister and I were, when we were growing up. And, and I've told, told them so many of these stories, they can even fill in the blanks now. But we all love a good story. And this is a great story. As a matter of fact, it's, it's considered a literary masterpiece, even as short as it is. It's a love story. There, there was a woman named Naomi, as you heard. And her husband and her sons died. And she said, I'm going back to Bethlehem. And her daughter-in-law. Now, with every good story, there's a conflict, right? And so immediately you think, okay, we've got a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law. That's where the conflict's going to come. <laughs> right? But no, that's not where it comes. Because Ruth says, I'm going with you. I'm going with you. We're going to talk about that more in just a little bit, what, what that meant. Three main characters in the book, Naomi, her daughter-in-law, Ruth, the Moabite, and then Boaz, a man of standing in the community. The book's broken out like this. Chapter one is scene one. It's the background of the tragic story. Chapter 2 is scene 2, Ruth meets Boaz. And chapter 3, scene 3, the encounter on the threshing floor. And chapter 4, you're going to have to wait till next week. Because we're just going to do 2 and 3 tonight. From the book's chiastic structure to the underlying, underlying phrases and meanings in the Hebrew, that we're not going to have time to get into all that. It really is a literary masterpiece and a work of art. When I 
read the story of Ruth and Naomi, and whenever I'm at the Dead Sea, I can't help but think about those two. Because, you see, they were in Moab, and, and, and we're going to put a map on the screen for you there. They were in Moab. See it down in the right-hand corner at the bottom? And then across the Dead Sea up there uh, to the northwest, you have right below Jerusalem, Bethlehem. And this is what the terrain looked like. That's what it looks like. I took that picture. And I always think about those two because you see, Moab is about 2,500 feet above sea level. Bethlehem is about 2,500 feet above sea level. And at the bottom of that is the Dead Sea, the lowest place on earth. And it's 1,200 feet below sea level. And so they had to travel across terrain like this, down 4,000 feet, somehow got across the Dead Sea, and then back up 4,000 feet. I'm telling you, I've walked up part of this just traveling up to the waterfall at En Gedi, and it is hard walking. And they didn't have Merrill's. They had sandals or whatever they could get around their feet. And they walked that distance. I called a friend of mine who used to live in Jordan this week. And I said, Dude, I, I think it's about 60 miles. And he said, yeah, it's about 60 to 75 miles that they traveled from Moab to Bethlehem. And so when Ruth said, I'm going with you, it was a commitment. That was rough terrain. Steep, rocky, and it was also dangerous. The journey would have been dangerous. You remember what you read at the end of the book of Judges. What did it say? In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. And so it was a dangerous journey. If everyone's doing what they see fit, then they could certainly could have taken advantage of these two ladies. It was during the period of the Judges where we see the sin cycle. My son-in-law Chris uh, and my daughter are counselors, but when they lived in Denver, he had his own a counseling practice. It was an addiction counseling practice. And he took me to his office one day, and he had these post-it posters all over, around the wall. And I looked at him, and I said, that's the sin cycle. And he said, yeah, that's exactly what it is. And what is the sin cycle? If you've taken Panorama of the Bible, you know exactly what it is. There's a period of rebellion, then retribution, repentance, restoration, and rest. And we saw it through the book of Judges over and over again. During that 300 years, they would rebel. There would be God's retribution. There would be repentance, restoration, and then a time of rest over and over. And that's how people lived. They were living life not from God's perspective, but through their own eyes. And that's always a problem, as Proverbs 14, 12 tells us. There is a way that seems right to us, but in the end, it leads to death. An appropriate scripture for our culture. They need to know that it's just not what I think is right. It's what God says is right. That's what we need to follow because this is unchanging. It's what all of our morals and values were established on, and it worked well for centuries. But now people have thrown the Bible out the window. 
and we'll do so to our own demise. Ruth has become a follower of Yahweh, right? She's followed Naomi to Bethlehem, and, and we know how Moab and Ammon came about. A lot, his daughters were worried about his legacy, so in, in, in faithlessness, they had relations with their father, and two children were born out of that, Moab and, and Ammon. And that's where Moabites and Ammonites come from, and they warred with Israel for years and years and years. But Ruth broke the traditions of her idolatrous people. And she followed the Hebrew way. Naomi had become bitter. Remember, she asked the people, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. But call me Mara. Because I'm bitter. But things are about to change. Let's look at it. Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain, left, uh, the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. And Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field, as it turned out, as it turned out. Just chance, right? She was in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. You see, all this was in accordance to God's law. Leviticus, look what it says. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor. And for the sojourner, I am the Lord your God. God was concerned about the poor, and so should we be. We are so excited that Samaritan Community Center is going to be, they've just announced their building project is going to happen, and they're going to build it right out here on the corner of our property. They're building a brand new facility that's going to, to expand our outreach to the poor in northwest Arkansas. It all started right here in 1989 with a community group that just wanted to make a difference for those less fortunate than ourselves. They'll have a brand new building. They'll have the farm out here as well. They're going to be going from a few thousand pounds of food that they're growing every year to hundreds of thousands of pounds of food that will be used to feed the poor here in northwest Arkansas. We have to put our money where our mouth is. If we're going to be the church, let's be the church. Let's feed the poor. Let's take care of them. Meet their needs. Everything from dentistry to counseling to whatever they need. It's there. We take care of thousands of people every single week through Samaritan Community Center. And I'm very proud that it's a part of our church. It started here. So we should care for the poor. Verse 4, just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. Look how he addresses them. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. It tells me that they were men of character. He was a man of character. He hired men of character. It was important to him. You know, when I was a kid, we started going to church. And uh, at, at the end of every service, the, the pastor, our preacher, he would call on someone to pray. And there was one guy, I'm not going to say his name, but there was one guy that he would call on. 
And, you know, the, the sermons, when I was that age, they seemed like they lasted three hours. And when the preacher was done, I was ready to get out of there. But he would call on this one guy. And he said the longest prayers. And whenever the preacher called his name, I was just like, ah. Because he would just go on and on and on. He had this incredible memory. He remembered every Aunt Minnie that had a problem. And he would pray for them. And he would just go on and on. And very eloquent. Talk to God like they were old friends. And one day when I was a teenager, the guy I was working for took me to this fellow's place of business. And I was astounded to hear him curse like a sailor. I was like, wow. This guy that prays those long, beautiful prayers, when he's at work, he's got a foul mouth. I'm really, it, it just left me speechless that day and disappointed and disillusioned and probably gave me a little bit of license to curse myself. Character. Character. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what's to exude from our lives if we are to be his image bearers. And Boaz asked, verse 5, Boaz asked the overseer of, his, overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather from among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So she was a hard worker. Seems that these guys admire her. They didn't expect anything good from a Moabite. But it seems that they're impressed by her because she's a diligent, hard worker. Good character doesn't go unnoticed. There's a quote by Booker T. Washington. Look at this quote. Character is power. We think in our world that strength is power, armor is power. Character is power. <laughs> Remember that. Teach your children that. If you want to be powerful, then it's character. What God wants to do in and through you and the lives of other people and within you. That's God's economy. Because of Ruth's character, Boaz shows kindness to her. We see these fruit in all their lives. He shows kindness. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men uh, are, uh, are harvesting and follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. Where Ruth's life was once hopeless, now her character has caught the attention of someone who can be her guardian. Boaz knows the world that they're living in is dangerous. That everyone's doing what is right in their own eyes. And so he's offering protection to her. Now in verse 10, we see Ruth's character. 
eliciting that unwarranted and undeserved kindness. Verse 10, at this she bowed down with her face to the ground. We see humility there. She asked him, why have I found favor, such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? You see, Ruth is having trouble getting out of the Moabite mode, isn't she? She just sees what she once was or where she came from. And she probably came into Bethlehem thinking, I'm going to be rejected and scorned. She thinks that people are going to see her for what she was rather than what she's trying to be. Don't ever let that get in your way. Our God is the God of the second chance. Our God is the one who can lift you up out of that miry pit and set your feet on a rock and put a new song in your mouth. And she sees hope. She sees hope in this man and how he's responded to her. Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz is saying, oh, I know all about you. I've heard all about you. You're Ruth. You've taken care of Naomi. He's pronouncing a blessing on her. He uses that phrase, under his wings. This Moabite has come under the wings of the Hebrew God. And and I want to point out something for all of us Gentiles in the room. That's really good news. Really good. We saw it in the book of Jonah, didn't we? God's got room for the Gentiles. He had room for the Ninevites. And now he's got room for this Moabite. If we will just submit ourselves to him. There's plenty of room in his house. I love the story when I think about under his wings. Donald Barnhouse used to tell the story of when he was a boy. Donald Barnhouse was a very famous preacher. He told the story about when he was a boy, he lived across the uh, the, the field from, from this prairie and it caught fire and the winds blew the fire and burned up their house. It burned their barn. It burned everything. And when the fire was over, he went back with his father and they were walking through the rubble and his father kicked what looked like an old piece of bark off a tree and little chickens ran everywhere. And he looked closer And it wasn't a piece of bark at all. It was a mother hen. When the fire came, she gathered her chicks under her wings and protected them. God loves and cares for his own. And that's what he wants to do for you and me. When we think, where are you, God? He's there. He's there. The fire may come, but he's protecting us. And we see this in Ruth. Well, in the next section, I'm not going to read every verse, but Boaz shows more kindness to Ruth, and, and they bless her with more grain than she could ever imagine. She probably hadn't eaten like that before. When you're in the Middle East, that's what they do. They, when you're a guest, they just bring you food, and they bring you more food, and they bring you more food, and you bring you more food, and you think, where are they getting all this? Because they don't have it themselves, but they give you all that they've got. 
Verse 13, she says, May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant. And though I do not have the standing of one of your servants, at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine and vinegar. And she sat down with the harvesters, and he offered her some roasted grain, and she ate all she wanted and had some left over. She made her way back to Naomi, and Naomi asked, Where did you glean today? Verse 19. Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her. He has not stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead. And she added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. You may have heard the term kinsman redeemer with Boaz. And you're going to talk a lot about that next week. All right. <laughs> I'm not going to ruin that for you. Naomi is excited. Boaz is a close relative in, in, in that culture. Uh, he was a caretaker of the family. If, if a woman became a widow, then the kinsman redeemer, the one related to them closely, took care of them. Verse 21, then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finished harvesting all my grain. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and the wheat harvest were finished and she lived with her mother-in-law. And then we go to chapter three. In the beginning of the book, it was Ruth who demonstrated faithfulness to Naomi. And now we see Naomi demonstrating faithfulness to Ruth because she said to her in verse 1, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Perhaps Naomi was getting older and she was afraid that Ruth might not be taken care of. We've got to find a home for you. And then she tells her of a Near Eastern custom where she would go to find Boaz and she would lie, she would uncover his feet as he was sleeping and she would lie there. Okay, it was a proposal of marriage in that time. And Ruth said, I'll do whatever you say. So she went to the threshing floor where Boaz would have stayed the night to guard his harvest at the time. And then he went to sleep and she uncovered his feet and he saw that as a sign, and then he put his cover over her, that he would take care of her as her kinsman redeemer, her guardian redeemer. But there's a problem. There's a problem. There's a crisis in the story, the conflict that we've been waiting for. Verse 10, the Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. All the people of the town know that you are a woman of noble character. Some have questioned what she did when she'd lie, she would lie. She lay down there by his feet and then he covered her. Was, was this an inappropriate relationship? And no, this tells her she is a woman of noble character. And although it is true, he says, I am the guardian redeemer of your family, there is another most 
more closely related than I. That's the problem. There's somebody else in the way. There's somebody else in the way. But Naomi now encourages her to have patience. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? And then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. And then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, be patient, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. He won't rest until it's settled today. You see, God faithfully loves and cares for his own. It's by no mistake that she wound up in Boaz's field. She came all the way from Moab, all the way across that desert, climbed those mountains and that steep, rough, rugged terrain, came to Bethlehem, no accident that she wound up in Boaz's field. In the lives of Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz, we see nothing but character, the fruit of God displayed in their lives. And I want to just take a moment. Are you a person of character? Are you seeing the fruit of God's Spirit lived out through your life? Or are you like that fellow that I told you about? Have you compartmentalized your life in such a way that you live this way when you're at church and you live this way when you're at work and at play? Huh? It demands an answer. Because we can't witness to the people with which we live, work, and play if if we're acting like the rest of the world. So we had a prayer pause a minute ago. Thank you, Marco, for leading us through that. We had a prayer pause. I want you to pause just for a moment and think about these words and think how these describe you. And I'm going to do what Marco did. I'm going to ask you to just close your eyes and I'm going to say these words and you think about how this word is displayed in your life. Okay, here we go. Those of you on live stream, you do it too, okay? Close your eyes. Here's the first word. Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Self-control. The first three 
our inner qualities. Love, joy, and peace. <coughs> the second three are qualities that we express to other people. And the last are marks of a spirit-led believer. That's how we're supposed to live. God faithfully loves and cares for his own. And we are to live in such a way that people see his fruit in our lives. God's hidden hand was at work in the lives of Naomi and Ruth. Do you believe that? Yeah. Let me ask you this question. Do you believe his hidden hand is at work in your life? Do you believe he's working in and through you to accomplish incredible things right now? You better believe he is. I challenge you to look back across your life to see how he's worked thus far to bring you to where you are. In times, you never knew he was there, but he was working all the while. In a few weeks, I'm going to have the privilege of taking a few people. I think it's about five weeks from now. We'll be in Bethlehem. And I'll take them to a spot that looks out over fields in the eastern part of Bethlehem. And I'm going to tell you a little bit of the story that you'll learn more about next week. But, but Ruth and Boaz had a son named Obed, and he had a son named Jesse, and Jesse had a son named David. And their great-grandson, David, would care for sheep out in those fields. And about a thousand years later, there were other shepherds working out in those fields when an angel of the Lord appeared to them and said, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be all to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And incredibly so, in those same fields that we'll look upon where the angels sang and where their great-grandson worked were the same fields where a lady named Ruth met a man named Boaz. The hidden hand of God was at work in their lives and never doubt that he's at work in your life as well. And you'll never know this side of eternity all that he has planned for you. Oh God, awaken us to the fact that you are working in our lives that you want to accomplish more than we could ever ask or imagine if we will but submit ourselves to you. Oh, Lord, forgive us when we live in such a way that we don't even acknowledge your existence. We don't want to live as practical atheists. Lord, we want to live as your image bearers. Imago Dei. People who display all that you are to the world. Oh, Lord, hear us as we sing, as we acknowledge your deep love for us because we thank you for loving and 
caring for your own. Ashamed, I hear my mocking 
Take a moment to be with Jesus. Just to ask him, ask the Holy Spirit what he might be saying.
Father, you are our rock and our redeemer. Lord, we worship you as king. Spirit, as we prepare our hearts to go, would you be our guide? Would we keep in step with you? We pray these things in your name, amen. Church, if you need prayer, we have some prayer team members available scattered around the room. You'll see them. Um, if not, let's uh, read this together as we prepare our hearts to go. Let's go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And the people said, thanks be to God. We'll see you next week.